Thanks for tuning in to a Sunday service. This week, we'll hear a message from Pastor Andy Bowles. So, your appetite determines your filling. How many of you guys would say that's a pretty accurate statement? Your appetite determines your filling. What you are hungry for determines what you go after. And what you go after, not every time, but a good bit of times, I think we would all say, yeah, this is true, a good bit of times in life, what we go after, we eventually catch, right? And when we catch it, if it's our appetite, then we consume it. And when we consume it, it's what we're full of. Turn to your neighbor and say, what are you full of this morning? What are you full of? That's a, that's a big deal, right? It, it, it's going to determine an awful lot. It's going to determine what your tomorrow is. It's going to define your relationships. It's, it's going to mean an awful lot for you to figure out what am I full of because what you're full of is eventually going to come out of you. What you are full of is eventually going to come out of you. <laughs> no matter how long it takes, your appetite determines your filling, and what's inside of you is going to come out of you sometime or another in life. If you are having a tough day, you're not feeling well, you're struggling paying your bills, your relationships are not exactly where they should be, and all of a sudden life is putting the squeeze on you, what you have been stuffing inside of you because of your appetite will in that moment come out. And it's just impossible that it wouldn't. We've been in a series of messages that we have hijacked from TED Talk, and we've named it Fed Talk. I don't know if I've ever preached a cornier series of messages than this, but I thoroughly enjoyed it because what we've talked about is, is repentance if you want to get right down to it, it's, it's repentance. It's, it's us changing our lives because of the goodness of God has been brought to us because of a confession of sin, because of a conviction from the Holy Spirit, because sin has been a part of our life. We've looked through this series of messages with this frame of mind, done with sin, Romans chapter 6, verse 14, teach us about being done with sin. And the only way to be done with sin is to be able to leave with Jesus. You cannot, you cannot leave sin, become a better person, change your reputation if you just say, you know what, tomorrow I'm going to do better. It is not a internalized, self-focused, self-exaltation kind of matter to where we say, sin has got me, therefore I've got to do better. That's not what repentance is, and that's not what being done with sin is. I've mentioned this in the past, and I'll believe it to be true as well this morning, and will be true tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day, because it's truth. I believe that, I believe that the, the summary of the issues that most Christians face today can be dealt with with one action. 
If I were to be able to tell you this morning, I can tell you, you know how you, you walk as a Christian and you trip over yourself and you sin and, and you feel this disgust and you feel this guilt and you feel this shame and this loom is over you until you finally find release and you understand that Jesus loved you in the first moment of confession. He forgave you and he at no time has stiff-armed you, but he has always been welcoming you. You, you know what I'm talking about? Or is it just me this morning? I can dismiss y'all and just preach to myself this morning, right? <laughs> the, the, the summary of it is this, an appreciation of what it took to forgive your pathetic, worthless, rotten self. That, didn't, that don't land well, does it? Not today it doesn't. But because what we're doing is, is we're through social media and every other avenue we can possibly find looking for self-affirmation. We're looking for pats on the back and, and we'll get that. There's no, no doubt we'll get that. But friends, the Christian life don't start off with a pat on the back. It starts off with a kick in the pants. Because the Holy Spirit has to say, you're lost and you're headed to a devil's hell. And the only way you can be saved is if you repent and believe in Jesus. It's the only way. So an appreciation of what it took to forgive me and to save me is key. And so we talked about being done with sin, leaving with Jesus. We talked about dealing with the consequences, and we can only do that with the help of Jesus. And so today we're going to finish this series of messages and get rid of my television box. And it's going to the highest bidder after the message this morning. No, I'm kidding. But we're going to finish it with determined over change. If you'll see the progression here of these messages, and hopefully you've been able to listen uh, each Sunday, whether it be here through Spotify or on Facebook, and maybe you're able to stack the bricks one on top of the other, because that's what this series of messages is, is doing. Because the fact of the matter is, you have to, as well as I do, deal with sin. Deal with not just sin, but sin's temptation. We have to deal with the temptation of sin all the time. Who would have thought in a million years that when we ride down the interstate, we look up and see a billboard that is either promoting legalized marijuana or a woman in a bikini holding a transmission? And the temptation that's all out there. And we pass by and we see the Powerball at seven bazillion, gazillion, hazillion, manillion dollars. And the temptation is, I got five dollars. And if that's you and you win, you better tithe. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, but the temptations are out there and, and we have to deal with it. And, 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 and the fact of the matter is, if all of that was wiped away, understand in Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 4, there was no casinos and Powerballs. There were no legalized marijuana or billboards promoting it. There was no women in bikinis trying to sell transmissions on billboards. It was not the movies that invade our homes. It's not all of the evils that we see today. But sin still got in. Sin still gets in. I mean, you guys know that sin is lurking around. Temptation is, is waiting for the smallest crack. Well, why else would you think that Paul would write to the church at 
Ephesians in chapter 4, verse 27 says, neither give place to the devil. Don't give any place to the devil. Don't give him an inch, he'll take a... Wow. <laughs> That's exactly right. So, so deal, with, deal with sin. The only way you can deal with sin is with Jesus through confession. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Your only hope is Jesus and confessing to him, having a heart sensitive to when you break the heart of God, your heart breaks, and you repent from your sin. You, you, you not only are done with sin, but now you're learning through life how to deal with the consequences because of sin and the wake of sin. And how many of you guys right now would say, you know what, today I'm still living in some consequences of my sin? There's a lot of people, right? A lot of us do that. And so what do we do in the midst of the consequences of our sin? Do we cow down and let that be a shame over us all the time? Or do we look at it like our first point was last week, that consequences is not always punishment. Consequences can be a lesson. It can be a lesson that we learn from. It doesn't have to be a past that we live in, but it can be a lesson that we learn from. And this lesson that we learn from, every day that we deal with the consequences, we're growing because we're knowing more about the situation. And we're utilizing and leveraging that, that consequence, that situation, for the glory of God and for the benefit of whoever, whatever has been affected through that consequence. And now when we get to this point, determined over change, Man, I think all of us should be in some way determined. I, I like the, the word determined. It has the idea to set a focus on. And not to be distracted. Not to have the things of the world or things of my personal life so lure me away. I am determined. I am convicted. I am in concrete boots, established. This is where I stand, and this is what I'll do. Determined. When's the last time you... You were determined over something. Now, might be able to paint this picture in your mind real quick. When is the last time you were determined over something and you were just flat wrong? Think of that. And then you realize you were wrong and somebody came to your aid because they love you so much and they helped you understand you were wrong by saying, I told you so. <laughs> Man, God bless his servants, right? <laughs> yeah. You see, the determination in understanding when we are wrong, but willing to make a change for the right, is what the Christian life is really all about. It is, it is every single day getting up with new resolve, with open heart, with ready spirit that says, God, you are my teacher and life is my class and I am living this for the purpose to glorify your name. This is, this is a determination. I am determined. James, in the, in, in the book of James, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and flip there. If not, it'll be on the screen and we welcome you to be here at Embrace. If you're visiting with us and maybe this is your first time to come here and you say, well, the lights are a little dim. Um, yeah, we got them on the screen too. If you need to use that instead of a Bible in your lap, we, we want you to have a Bible here with you at church. We got a box of Bibles in the back. If you don't have a Bible, make sure you grab one when you leave. We believe that this Bible, this is the infallible, inerrant Word of God that does not contradict itself but complements itself if you understand and rightly divide it. 
right? That's who we are at Embrace, right? This is our book. This is how we live. And in the book of James, it's right after the book of Hebrews. It's in the New Testament, way on down through there. We're going to pick up in verse 6 and just read down to verse 8. And it's midstream. I'm going to explain the context in just a minute. But notice what he says. But, here we already know, conjunction word. We're starting from somewhere else. It's midstream. Let him ask in faith. Nothing wavering. For he that wavereth waves, his life is, is flexible. It's, it's not flexible in a good sense, but it's like grains that are being blown in, in, in the wind, or it's like a wave that is billowing on a shore. It says, For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not a man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Here, here James, as he's writing, let me just give you the understanding of the, these three verses. He goes ahead right off in verse 6 and says, There are those in life, in their relationship with God, claim to want a change by what they say in, in their prayer life and what they ask God, but their faith is not stabilized and they don't really fully desire the change in their heart with what their mouth is saying. He's saying these guys are weak and easily movable faith. They're gullible. Their situation lies to them and tricks them and puts them in a position to where they're like a wave that is just tossed so easily. Verse 7, he says, A man who approaches God and says, God, I wish to have change, but in reality does not want change, don't think that that man is going to have his prayer answered. <laughs> Because God is more than interested in just what you say, but in what you do. Oh, guys, you got to get that. Don't leave here this morning without that, please. If you leave here this morning with anything, please make sure you get that. God is more than just interested in what you say, but in what you do. If you don't believe that, go home this afternoon, take about 45 minutes, and walk your way through the book of James, in particular, chapter 2, where he says, faith without works is sleeping. Is that what it says? Sleeping. is lazy. is off the clock. No, it doesn't say any of that stuff. It doesn't, it doesn't use those, the, those words, that type of language that would make us think that it's okay for the moment. No, it is dead. Faith without works is not going to accomplish anything in your life. Who, who would say to a person who's starving and naked and, and cold, who in their right mind would say just with their words, well, be filled and be clothed and be housed and think that it takes place like that? It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. That's not the way this, this works. And so here he's saying you, you can't pray and ask God for change and then not live your life in a manner to where you are desirous of change. And then he says this in verse 8. Now catch what he says. He says, the double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. You guys might be reading some different translations out there, and I know a lot of people use the, the NLT, the New, new um, 
living translation. And, and so it might phrase it somewhat different, like a man who is attempting to go in two different directions or, or a, a two-spirited man. That's really what it is. It's, it's the guy who doesn't have his mind made up about anything but asking God for something that he never intends to do anything with. <laughs> Come on. Y'all, wake up this morning. That, that's... That's what he's saying. A, a, how many of us attempt to go in two, dire- two different directions in life? <laughs> you say, well, Andy, that's impossible. You, you come to the fork in the road. You've either got to go right or you got to go left. That's true in a car. But there's a lot of people who do this in life. They say, you know what? I want to be a Christian. I want to live a Christian life. And yet when they go out there to live this Christian life, they never darken the door of the word of God. They, when they do pray, it's self-consuming prayers. They never really pursue the will or plan of God for their life. The only thing that they're really about is other people in a certain circle thinking that they're pursuing God instead of in all actuality when no one else is looking, they are pursuing God. Yes, you can live two lives. That's what he's saying. He says, uh, and, that, and if, I just, if I can just take this verse and just kind of make it, make it good old Scott County, Mississippi language. He says, a man who tries to live two different lives has lost his mind. He cray cray. Ain't no way this is going to happen. Try as you will. There's somebody blending inside of the life you're living here or life that you're living there and somebody, something, sometime is going to tell off because your appetite determines your feeling and something's going to be more filling than the other. And when the time happens and life is there and there's the jostle, what's on the inside is going to spill to the outside and you've got to deal with that. So, so where is, is James coming from here? James is starting off writing to a church, 12 tribes scattered abroad. This is the church of Jerusalem. Whenever persecution came in, they scattered out. And he's writing this letter that is going to be circulated from pockets of Christians here to there. And he understands their plight. He talks about the hardness of tribulation and trials. He says, my brother encountered all joy when you fall into different kinds of troubles. Because these troubles are working patience, and this patience is helping you mature as a follower of Jesus. And then he says this, if anybody lacks wisdom, because I know you're going to need wisdom in life. How many of you want wisdom? Hands up, hands up. It's okay. How many of you guys want wisdom? If you want wisdom, raise your hand. I want wisdom. All right. How many of you guys have wisdom? All right. Thank you. The, the, the hands that were up at first were all over the hands that came down. And I said, I mean, if you have wisdom, was astronomical. How do you get wisdom? It's not, it's not by education. It's, it's, not, it's, it's, not even, uh, it's not even in how much you might know inside of the gray matter of your skull. Spiritually speaking, even theologically, doctrinally speaking, even it's not given to you by that. It's given to you as Jesus was given to you a free gift. Wisdom. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. He doesn't hold it back. That's why 
this verse 6 starts with the but. But if a man asks for wisdom, but his heart's not fully inside of that wisdom, why? Because wisdom will help you understand things that you didn't previously understand, which might also bleed into an area of your life that you're struggling in. And the first step of wisdom, wisdom cries out according to the Proverbs. And when it steps into the areas of our life to where we don't have it, it's going to give a blaring yelp out into our ears that says, wait a minute, you shouldn't be here doing this with that. That's what, that's what wisdom does. So change, that's, that's where he's at. He's saying, are you determined over, over change? How many of you guys could use a little bit of change in your life? Are we determined? Are our feet set? Is our heart ready? Is our mind focused? How do we become determined over change? Well, there's a couple of thoughts I want to share with you this morning about how to because it's not just, do I want to take the word of God and exposit it to show you exactly what these words are saying and these verses are talking about within its context. But I want to give you something applicable that you can write down and you can take home and you can think over and you can pray about and hopefully you can apply to your life. So how do we become determined over our change? Number one, know that change means change. Change means change. Sometimes we don't really mean what we say. Sometimes we don't mean what we pray. Sometimes change is, is welcomed, but most of the time change is not welcomed. Because change means, change means there has to be an interruption in your schedule. How many of you guys love it? When something interrupts your schedule, you are at work, you are doing a great job. I mean, you're the boss, if, if he or she were to walk by, no doubt you're getting a $10 an hour raise. That's how good you're doing. And then all of a sudden, the boss does come around the corner, and you're excited, and the boss says, you know what, I got a phone call from the school, and your kid's puking on every other kid's at school's shoes, and you've got to go get them. And you're thinking, but man, I'm in, I'm, in a, I'm in a groove. I'm doing real good. I can't take off for six and a half hours because I've got bills to pay. How many of us enjoy our schedules to be? We don't enjoy our schedules to be interrupted, especially when it's something that we enjoy and that we want to do and we get pleasure from. Don't dare interrupt. You, you're at home in the weekend and the phone rings and and it's the boss calling you into work because somebody else couldn't make it. How does that make you feel? We don't, we don't like change. And I, I know, y'all, you turn your phones off, right? I, I feel you. I feel you. Okay. So, so we, we, don't, we don't like the changes of life. There's a reason why we don't like changes. Because the fact of the matter is, no matter how adventurous we can be, even the most adventurous person still enjoys a routine. Why? Because routine proves stability. Stability brings safety. It makes us feel good where we are in that moment, even though we know something needs to change. 
The familiar is still welcome, even if the familiar is not right. Right? And so, so think of it like this. Think of it when we're trying to change, not necessarily schedules or appointments or trying to change jobs or, or, or something temporal like that, but let's talk about spiritually speaking. We are attempting to change something inside of us. There is a craving that is driving your appetite, that is determining your feeling, and in life you get jostled and others see that you're not who you say you are. Mm. There's a change that needs to happen. And even though the change may be scary, the change is still better than where you are. I'm, that's the kind of change I'm, I'm talking about. You see, this is, this is what change takes. Change takes a step of faith that says, I don't know where I'm going. I've never been here before but I'm going to trust my God. <laughs> you don't change in and of yourselves and on your own. You change by the leadership of the Holy Spirit, the command of the Word of God, the influence of the people of God, the person of Jesus Christ. That's what leads us into our place of change, and that is our guide. And so as going to a place we've never been before, I remember in 2017, Eli and I went with a team from here, and, and other places as well to Kenya, Africa. And, and the only thing that I have ever uh, thought of when I think of Kenya, Africa is wildebeest and giraffes and, and rhinos and hippopotamus and crocodiles three times the length of this building. And, and so lions and tigers and bears, oh my, this is what I thought, right? This Africa, I'm going, to, I'm going to the Mar, I'm going to the jungle of Africa. And so we get there and I'm thinking as we walk f through the bush is what they call it. Through the bush, we've got Jack, who is our interpreter. Great man of God. Spent a, a lot of hours with him sharing the gospel from village to village and house to house. He was our guide, and he would go in front of us. And we're walking, and the first few days, I'm looking. I don't think the anaconda originally came from Africa, but it's probably there. So I'm watching. I've never been here before. We, we, would, we would go and eat a meal and uh, I would make sure that everybody else had had a pretty good feel before I would start eating my meal. Because if they died, I knew not to eat it. Okay? But I did love my mission team. It was a great time. And nobody died. But I, I'm, I'm living in caution. Because I had not yet learned to trust the guide. But by the end of the 10 days, I mean, we're just kind of bebopping through the bushes, hitting the bushes. I mean, I don't know if a line's over there. But we're just walking through like there's no lions and there's no tigers and there's no bears. There's no reason to be, oh my. And we're fine with that. We're walking through and because we're, we're trusting the God by faith in 10 days who had been there all of his life. Some of us are scared to change because we don't trust the guide who has been there all of our life. We don't have the faith to exercise to say, God, I know what your word says. It says this needs to happen in my life. I'm comfortable here, but change is here. I have faith in me here. I'm supposed to have faith in you here. I trust in me here and all that's around me in here, but you say to trust you in here, and I know that change means change, which is going to interrupt some things. But it's got ha to happen if you're going to change. Determination, I've got to be determined for change. The first thing you need to know is it's going to change some things.
Is it okay that it changes some things? It was for the psalmist David. You guys know the story. David's caught with Bathsheba and they're in sin. He tries to cover it up and cover it up. He actually has her husband, Uriah the Hittite, killed on the front lines of battle, attempting to cover up his sin. The prophet comes to his, his castle, knocks on his door. You know the story. Gives him a little parable about a man who had a sheep and a neighbor who had plenty of sheep. And the, the neighbor who had plenty of sheep stole the neighbor who had one sheep for himself to feed his traveling friend. And at the conclusion of the parable, Nathan says, the prophet says to David, what should happen to this man because of his sin? And David in arrogance and pride, and he hasn't been humbled yet because oh, his sin is still lurking at his door. He says, that man should die for that. And the prophet puts his finger on David's nose and says, you are that man. You see, David knew something needed to change, was comfortable where he was, and if that prophet would have not knocked on his door, he would have not changed. He would have been just fine living. Well, I, he wouldn't have been just fine but he would have been living in that same path. And then he sees there's, there's got to be change if there's going to be change. And this is what he says in Psalm chapter 51, verse 10. Psalm 51, 10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. You've got to do something here, Lord. There's got to be a change brought here, Lord. Sometimes the change needs to start right there for us when we've been in a place dealing with sin, dealing with consequences. We're determined past that, but we still got the temptation. Just change needs to happen, a change of location, a change of friends, a change of activity. It needs to change. Create in me, Lord, a clean heart. Renew within me a right spirit. The second thought is this. Corrected behavior means consistent favor. I like this point. I like it because it, it, it not only sounds good, it feels good, and it plus it rhymes, and I like things that rhyme. Man, y'all still out there? I'm going to preach another hour if I don't get some response from you guys, okay? <laughs> Corrected behavior. Y'all are like some people's faith this morning, did. <laughs> Wake up. Corrected Somebody said, dang, this is a place of truth. Corrected behavior means consistent favor. Whenever your behavior is corrected, then what you receive is the favor of God over your life. Understand that. This is a simple principle that we have with our own kids. Our kids do something boneheaded. They blow it. They, they come to us and we have to correct them and, and we make the change there in their life for them because they can't do it. And then all of a sudden, what do you want to do with your kids? Come here. Let me give you some favor now. Show favor. Let me tell you something. I love children. I love everybody's kids. Right? Do you love everybody's kids? No, somebody said, nope. Well, for the rest of us, we love everybody's kids. But you do things for your kids you don't do for everybody else's kids. Why? Because you show favor to your kids. Now, you may not necessarily have a favorite inside of your, your kids with your kids. 
I know my mom does. It's me. But other than, you know, she's here today. She'll say amen. So, <laughs> but you show favor over your children. You, you want to lavish them with favor, right? You, you, you want to make sure that they have what they need in life. No matter how young or how old they are, it doesn't come with an age limit. Whenever we receive this corrected behavior from God and by his word and change begins to happen in our life, all of a sudden we receive this favor, this grace that endures a long time that bonds us with the one who gives us favor. This favor all of a sudden overwhelms us in its consistency and in its consistency it reminds us how inconsistent we've been. Let me just tell you the way Paul would tell the church at Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24 says, The Lord who is faithful, who will do it, who will perform it. <laughs> he, is, he is faithful. He is consistent. When we're not consistent, when we need correction, he comes in with correction. And when behavior is corrected, then there is consistent favor. The last thing is this. To have a clear vision to look to Jesus. Determined over change. Man, I need change. And I know that change means change. And I know that corrected behavior brings consistent favor. I, I get that. God wants to bless those who are obedient. He opens a, a door of heaven and pours out those blessings. But sometimes my determination lacks a little bit even in the end of all of that. Has there been a time in your life to where you... You set goals for yourself, and there were goals to help you change to become a better you. And then all of a sudden, in hindsight, you began to look at your track record, and you see that you failed, and you failed, and you failed, and you failed. And no matter how determined you were, no matter how wet the carpet was with your tears, no matter how sincere you were in the moment and the determination, you, right then was, was solid, but then three days later, it was very weak. I don't know if you've ever been there before. I know I've been there a thousand times, right? And say, Andy, what's going to bring determination in moments like this? To remove all the obstacles that is blocking your, your vision of Jesus. Get a clear vision of Jesus and just look to him. Understand who this is. Why are we here on a Sunday morning? Because Jesus, God's son, died on a cross, he was buried, and he rose again the third day to offer sinners like me and you forgiveness. That's the reason that we're here, the very purpose that we come into this room and we sing songs and we pray prayers and we encourage one another and we shake hands and hug necks and say, I'm praying for you and open the Bible and attempt to learn from the Bible. It's all because of Jesus. And in your strongest moment, look to Jesus. But in your weakest moment, look to Jesus. Every moment in between. Cast your gaze to Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. I have, I have prayed those very words more times than I can count. Looking unto Jesus, who is the author. This, 
This, this seems a little bit double-jointed, kind of wild in the King James translation to say author and finisher. What is it? What is it? Shouldn't it be beginner or starter and finisher if we're going to use the word finisher or author and, and editor? I don't know, completer. If we're going to use that kind of language, Jesus is the one that wrote the story because Jesus is the one who knows your story because Jesus is the one who started your story because Jesus is the one who's walking you with you through your story because Jesus is the one who will be at the end of your life with the, with the period or the exclamation point at the end of your story who is saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. And then he gives us that example once again, who for the joy that was set before him, <laughs> what in the world are you talking about? <laughs> for the joy that was... He went to the cross. He looks over Jerusalem one last time and he weeps and he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would have gathered you under my wings as a hen does her chicks, but you would not. He on the cross is being ridiculed and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what to do. He is a man of sorrows. How can this say who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame? How can he do that? The same way we today, in looking at what his offering was and what it resulted to, can see the image of that very same thing lived out in us when we choose to change for his glory. What, what, are, you, what are you saying, Andy? This is what I'm saying. There was sacrifice on the behalf of God through his son. There was sacrifice in Jesus through his offering on the cross, there was something that brought before everyone the opportunity of change. Jesus, according to Luke, his face was set as a flint toward Jerusalem. This is his heartbeat. And it's not that he might go and suffer. It's not just that he might be a sacrifice. But it's for you. It's because of you, Jesus in the earthly mind, in a worldly perspective, chose to make a change. He's the plan of God. I understand that. Don't bombard me with theological things after this. I'm just taking a little liberty to say, in the human perspective, Jesus, eternal God, looks down on earth and says, it's time, and comes into the form of a baby. There's huge change there. From God, creator of all things, receiving the, the applause of the angel 24-7 comes in a stinky stable sacrifice. He, he's being taught and nursed at his mother's hand, corrected at his father's hand. He's, he's being taught at his father's hand. He's, he's being led by his peers from one place to the next. Jesus is, is, is fully God and, and fully man, and, 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 he, and he grows up and, and then lives this perfect life. And he experiences bombardment from the world. But yet he looks down and he says, there needs to be change. So he seemingly makes a change to bring unto us change. And it starts with sacrifice. It starts with a decision. It starts with someone who is willing to say, it's time here in me to change the way this is being done.
Is that you this morning? Are you the kind of person this morning who shows up at church and is just wanting everything to go over the head instead of right there in the heart? You know what? I got a really good, I got some good notes, Brother Andy. I'm going to make sure I share that with somebody who needs it. Or is that something we need this morning? Say, you know what? That's me. I need change. Y'all done told me you need change. And change means change. It means that if you're determined over change this morning, things are fixing to change, right? And change begins with a decision.